Now on the tee, it's Maddie and the Caddy. Here's Matt Barry and Michael Collins. Another edition of your weekly tee box dysfunction alongside the Caddy. Michael Collins. Maddie, uh, today's Maddie and the Caddy podcast is incredible. Why? Because Carson Daly joins us and before you start thinking, well, wait a second. Why is MTV's Carson Daly on here? NBC. The story <laughs> that he tells about his connection to the game of golf, you're going to want to hear every single one of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he, it's great. So anyways, uh, without further ado, uh, the great multifaceted. Right. Yeah. And I'm sorry, who was the one that got this guest again? Taylor, the producer. Uh-huh. What Taylor? <laughs> Taylor got him really. Hey, oh. I mean, it's about time. Look, two weeks in a row. Did you say it's about time? Did you say with Webb Simpson? With hey, Webb Simpson. When's Brooks Kepka coming on with us? He's already been on Sports Center. We're good. Exactly. See, I see how they. Thank goodness I got Carson. Thank goodness Carson <laughs> is such a great dude. <laughs> <laughs> this was this. I gotta say too. We. I, I will. Not to diminish any of our previous guests, also who are friends, this was above and beyond fun, listening and getting to to chat with somebody like Carson. And I know everyone who hears this podcast is going to feel and understand everything that we felt doing it. This week on Maddie and the Caddy, again, I get to go through my Rolodex a little bit because Maddie still... Hasn't pulled any guests of his own except the sports center for himself, but whatever, that's fine, you know, but I'm proud and happy to bring on a good friend of mine who actually has his own podcast with Rory McElroy and who you guys probably see on the Today Show every now and then, but goes back and gets in the golf. How about Carson Daly? What's up, man? What up, what up, what up? <laughs> Matty, Caddy, thank you for having me. I'm going crazy in isolation. This is a nice uh, break from fatherhood. Well, that was the funny thing when you and I were texting. We yeah. were both like, man, I got two at home. My 13 <laughs> right now, I just walked by. My 13-year-old was on doing his school stuff on his yeah. iPad. And I walked by and I'm like, hey, I got to go record the my podcast. And he was mad because he just woke up and he was like, I don't care. I'm like, yeah. yeah, okay, like that. All right. Yeah, no, people are starting to get like they're starting to get my 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 crew is like starting to get like cabin fever, a little anxious, a little like you know, <laughs> it's like in college. Like you better really like your college roommate in that little little dorm. So like, I, my kids are like, we're starting to look at each other a little like what? Like what do you like what? What do you like what? <laughs> like just looking at each other across the living room. I walked by my seven year old daughter and she just punched me in the throat. <laughs> like no reason. She's like, yeah, it's like that now. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Right. See, like but you, you guys have the benefit of living in a warm weather climate. Up here in Connecticut, it's been in the 40s and 50s and wet. Well, I'm, in, I'm in New York. I'm in Long Island. Oh, you're in New York. I thought you were in L.A. I'm, I'm in L.A. People, Most people think that because I'm from L.A. And The Voice, the, the singing show on NBC that I do, that's in L.A. And I'm there for like half the year. But we live, we live in Long Island. We're like 14 miles outside the epicenter of all this craziness. And so we're hunkered oh. down. Yeah. No, oh, so there's no, edit, there's no uh, 80 degree outside. Burbank weather out my back door. <laughs> oh, and that's the worst part of it is like you want to go outside, sweat, run, swing a golf, yep. uh, but it just sucks outside. Wow, dude, like 
we have, if it rains, like when it rains, the weather like makes or breaks like the day for me, like, like psychologically, like, yes, like if it's pouring down all rain, I'm like, you know, I need Wilson. Like I'm like Tom Hanks. I <laughs> I feel lost on an island. And then the minute the sun, it, if the sun's open, it changes everything. Just to get outside, you're like, oh my god, I can feel the sun on my face. Like it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this. It's amazing what we took for granted. You know, I appreciate it all so much now. See, I was gonna ask you that because I, I've been going through this this stage of what do I miss most? And I'm not kidding. Like if I could just go to the barber shop and get a haircut, I'd be the for happiest real. guy alive. Preach. Did I go to the Russians? I got two dudes. We call them. My son goes there too. Great barber shop, right, right near me. Like shot of vodka, chill. Like it's a hang. They're great, great guys. And I, I, I miss that hang. Forget. I mean, I miss the haircut for sure. But like, I miss just waking up and, and going to see my dudes and like hanging out and talking. And yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that they didn't make us the essentials list. I was driving, my sister lives a few blocks away and I was like, even just the, the short distance between our two houses, I saw like 15 gardeners out there. I was like, this is amazing. And the only other store nearby me is a pet store. And I thought it's amazing that dogs and grass can get their haircut, but I can't. Well, that's what it is. Carson, we were talking like we're TV idiots. Like we need to look semi, yeah presentable to be on television yet services that we need aren't deemed no necessary no not at all and and you know the bloating from drinking and eating all day doesn't oh, help God. the tv thing because <laughs> no, I, mean, I looked I, at myself and i went oh my god and then i saw blake shelton on some sort of facetime thing and i thought he looked worse than me so i felt i felt okay <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're probably on the same boat. We all miss sports. Did you did you watch the Masters replay on Sunday of Tiger's final round? Yeah, I I, I did. I caught I caught it, and um, thank God, thank God, CBS aired that. It was just nice. I've been watching like Islander old Islanders games, just sort of pretending like they were live. I mean, I really miss watching sports. I watch a lot of sports in my house. Where I when I work in news and I've worked in entertainment and like I don't watch anything that I've ever that I'm on or that I'm a part of because that's work to me like I hate it like my kids are like let's watch the voice I'm like that show sucks we're not gonna watch that show <laughs> I have to watch like I have to live you know I, I, my escape is like especially sports and then you know just Tiger it, it you forget I mean you guys don't because you know but like you forget that we're amidst I'm so thankful that in my lifetime I got to see to be a part of this like 82 win Tiger Woods, the whole thing, the comeback, I think winning the green jacket again was the greatest moment in sports with all due respect to Muhammad Ali and a lot of the other things that are out there. But like, you look at, look into our lifetime, like we're the, I'm, you know, we're the same age, right? Like 46, 47, we're all right there. Like we, we've got Jordan, we know, caught the end of Jordan. We got all of Kobe. We got all, like we got Tiger. We got, it's just so cool. So yeah, anytime he's on, uh, I, I I just love watching because it it's I forget the chip on sixteen. You just forget, dude was staring that down. Like it's like what are you walking around the green for on sixteen? Like you're gonna check the break from like the apex? <laughs> like like really? This is before like even probably like spot putting. This is like like this dude's crazy. And sure enough, he just he always brought the magic. That's what I mean. Those moments that we got to live. I I do. I look back a lot and go. I wonder if this is what the people who got to watch Babe Ruth felt for sure you know, back in the day, you know, people who watch or when Nicholas first came out and it was Nicholas versus Palmer, like the for golf sure. fans were looking around going, man, we live in the greatest time ever. And then we get to look at them and go, no, you didn't. 
No, you didn't. Yeah, no, we got you. And also in that, at that time, you know, golf before, you know, Michael Jordan really kind of made it cool publicly, uh, publicly Nike commercials, obviously tiger when he started, you know, getting out there, but like, you know, when I was a, you know, 10 to 13, when I was getting bit by the golf bug, golf was still, you know, like Freddie wasn't rocking the, uh, what was the clothing line he used to wear that was kind of cool? Like it was baggies. Like it started to get kind of hit before that. It was all just buttoned up and you know, golf wasn't cool. Like it just wasn't. And now especially in the quarantine, like when they were, I was rewatching the masters. I'm like, Oh my God, this is the most, this is the most exciting sporting event I've ever seen. It's incredible. Yeah. So when, we were in, when we were in junior high and high school, no one was going to school going, yo, are those doctors? Are you rocking Dockers today? Right, right, right. Damn it. <laughs> no, no I, lettered in, I lettered in golf all four years at Santa Monica High School, which is like, you know, in Southern California. It's a cool part of town. No, no one played golf, though. Like, you know, like people surfed, and uh, I, I, I had a letterman's jacket. It was an S for Santa Monica, and there was like a little golf club on it. And, like, girls would be like, like oh, like, you know, what, yo, letterman, like, what, what sport is that? What do you, so you like, you play, you play with sticks? <laughs> How's it good as a golf club? Are you in band? Is that a drumstick? No, that's a, that's a sand wedge. That's I'm a, I'm a golf. I'm on the golf team. I'm on the varsity golf team, and I'm I'm, I'm 15. Hey, where are you, you going? You think that's cool? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, where are you going? Even. Hey, where are you going? Why am I I'm, why am I talking to the locker? <laughs> well, what was it about golf that that made you go by by golf way and not surfboard, baseball, football, basketball? I sucked at everything else really is the answer. I, I played everything growing up. Like we all played soccer, like poor soccer. We all play soccer. And then what happens? Like, <laughs> like soccer just go, you know, I played AYSO soccer. I loved it. I played little league and, and I just wasn't very good at little league when I was in left field. I could, when the ball is hit in the air, I never knew if I should run as hard as I can forward or backwards. <laughs> I had zero depth. So that was a problem. And, uh, and then my, really my dad, my dad died when I was five and we had some rough years. And then my mom remarried an Italian dude who was a really strong figure, you know, entrepreneur type guy, you know, like worked, I, you know, like I remember being a kid and like hearing his footsteps down the hallway, at like five in the morning, like, dude, this guy's going to work. He'd come home at six o'clock, real family guy, Catholic and golf was his thing. And it would become our thing, our bond, my stepdad. And so then through later in life, it would become, you know, like something I would fall in love with for, I mean, listen, as you all well know, I mean, golf, when you get a little bit older, your parents say, listen, this is a sport you can play, you know, golf and tennis for the rest of your life. It doesn't make any sense to you when you're 16 and think you, you know everything. That's <laughs> not cool like football, but I'm so glad that they, uh, that I had that kind of bond with my dad because it's, it's what brought me to the golf course. And dude, you had about everybody. You got to tell that story of playing pebble and, and what you did at Pebble Beach when you played there? Because you had everybody who knew about that moment, me included, were crying. Like, Oh, when, was, after my dad awesome passed though. away? Yeah, man. Yeah, well, Pebble was the spot, right? Like, I'm from Southern California, so, like, my dad and I had our – I was probably playing some of my best golf. You know, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up playing with Tiger. I'm three years younger. We played in SoCal Golf Association. We played in the American Junior Golf Association events. We played in a lot of tournaments together. I was a chaperone in a lot of tournaments. Our uh, Earl and my father were close. We carpooled, so we were, you know, that was my that was my life. Like by the time I was sixteen, I was I was a scratch golfer, not getting recruited, but I did, you know, get a golf scholarship to college, and that was when I was playing a lot. And Pebble Beach was the spot where my dad took me. We had our big big trip. So it's a very 
And then I would play in the AT&T a million years, and it became really more about my family, my sister, her kids, my kids now. So for 15 years, since like 2001, we were going to Pebble. So Pebble's like our family thing. We do it every year. And I finally, um, you know, my dad got to see me win the Pro-Am um, with Ken Duke, and he was there. Spieth won, uh, 18th Green. I won the Jack Lemon Award, which I didn't even know was a thing. I got the award for helping the pro out the most, and I got the hardware. My dad's crying. Greatest moment of, of forever. And then suddenly, uh, clouds turned dark, and a year later, my, both my parents passed away. My mom completely unexpectedly, while she's caring for my father who got cancer, like, out of the blue, like went to the doctor and was like, oh yeah, it's everywhere. Like you're going to have like a few months sort of thing. So it was just oh a terrible, terrible, terrible time. Yeah. But we went back to Pebble and I'm like, dad would want me to play. So me and my brothers, my sisters, my whole family, we did this whole like hashtag playing for pops and we were going to do it for pops, you know? So I, you know, my brother was on my bag. My dad drank Cuddy Sark scotch, the worst kind of scotch ever. I actually have a tattoo <laughs> on my arm for it. And um, so I had... On the course, um, I had some of his remains mixed in with my seed. And so I, I, I put pops on every hole at Pebble Beach. Like, I'm, in some case, I actually hit a lot of fairways that round. In some cases, he's in the rough, but I, I said, sorry, pops. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yo, what, ha what happened on 15, man? Why you got me over here? So, yeah, so, like, and, like, my family's there, and just, like, the old man, like, this is hollowed ground for him, like, he, this is where he wants to be, you know, Pebble, so boom, and then on 18, we putt out, and I have a little, like, airplane bottle of Cuddy Sark with my pops in it, and so me and my brothers, we say a little prayer, my, all of us, like, 20 of us, gang of us, we all get up on 18, and we throw it off into the ocean on 18, you know, say a little thing for pops, and, and that was it, man, it was just, um, it was very cathartic, and golf was such a big um, a big deal to him and to me and to us and, and just special. So now it's great though. Cause when I play, it's like, I feel like, you know, um, I'm playing with him. Right. That's good. Well, I am because again. he's physically on the ground. Uh, right. <laughs> you did it. Uh, bro. I got goosebumps again, bro. You got me all choked up, man. Just, well, I'm never, I, I think I told you that story when I saw you, but I, between, I wasn't really sure if that was like, I don't know what the legal, I mean, I put my parents in the Pacific ocean. No one said anything. So a little bit at, at Pebble beach, I didn't think the cops were going to come looking for me. Who's gonna say anything with something like that? I don't that? care if they. I don't. I don't yeah. listen. If, if that's what I get locked up for, that's a that's a weird one. Bruh, you know how many of us would be up there breaking you out? That ain't even funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was good, man. Ten minutes, man. It, that's just that's a that's so cool. Okay, what I've never heard this part. All of golf that was part of you, young. How in the world did you go from the high school golf nerd dude? To MTV, because this is everyone goes, yeah, man, Carson Daly, MTV. But wait, you're a South California dude, golfing kid who was yeah, you're with Tiger Woods, band nerd playing golf. Yeah, like, man, what are I you know. doing? How did MTV happen? Right, I just like I hit a point like almost like Tin Cup, like there was like a hole. I tried to qualify for the U.S. Open when I was 18 out in Palm Springs, and. It was a 36-hole event, and long story short, I think I was I was the youngest one out there, and I was in the hunt. And on my, uh, I guess it would be 32nd hole, I was probably even, and I pumped like three balls out of bounds left on an easy par five, and I was it was 110 degrees, and that was like it was a really defining moment for me. I just my whole golf amateur golf career, I just felt like 
I also have anxiety issues and I, I had a hard time. I really, it's like really psycho, but I was my own worst enemy under a lot of pressure and I never felt it too much in junior golf. But as I started to get an amateur, the Nike tour was the thing at the time I just realized. And sometimes you have to take a hard self look, hard look at yourself. And I just, I didn't have it. Like I really, you either have it, you know, they say that the whole thing about that, like six inches between your ears, like that's seriously what separates all these great ball strikers from yeah. great champions. You know, those are intangible things. And I just didn't have it. And I was honest enough to myself to say, look, I'm not going to be on tour, but maybe I can still be a golf professional. You know, maybe I can give lessons or work at a country club or still be around the sport that I love so much. Or, you know, I caddied a lot too. Maybe I could get a loop or whatever. So, um, all of a sudden I ended up meeting Jimmy Kimmel, uh, who was a childhood friend from Hawaii. When I was 10, our, our families met there. We, when I moved to Palm Springs to try to, to play pro golf, uh, he reached out to me and said, you know, you're, I was going to college of the desert and he said, Hey, listen, if you just come and enter me at this radio station, I'll sign your credit and you can go play golf. I don't even care if you show up. And I ended up falling in love with a him. It was like the big brother I never had. And then B radio, like and in radio, as golf was, you know, this whole U.S. Open moment happened, and it was just a big, like, two train tracks. I'm like, I am switching gears. And in radio, like, if you're drug-free and show up on time, you can excel yeah. the ranks of radio very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, you and <laughs> like, I are you, both positive. Yeah, man, like, you could be GM of an AM station in, like, a week. <laughs> Uh, so I, I love, I fell in love with music. Like music was my thing. Like I always loved music. I was like, man, I can play music and like get paid. And it's only like a four hour shift. It felt like caddying. Cause I knew I just, I wasn't good in school. I dropped out of college. It wasn't my thing. I'm like, I'm going to have to ham and egg this so-called career. Like I'm going to make anything of myself in my life. And lo and behold, man, I just got lucky. Got into radio. And then much like your, you know, comedy career, you spent 20 years just driving around looking for gigs. And that's what I did six radio stations later in California and then finally MTV called the late nineties and was like, yeah, we're looking for people actually know a little something about music. Do you want to be a VJ? And I said, hell yeah. Moved to New York. And then it was kind of up and it just took off. Hold on. When that first phone call comes, this is like MTV was still like pretty, it was, it was, it was pretty new. Did you, was it one of those moments? Cause I had that moment when ESPN called me and I was like, yeah, okay. Like I thought it was a joke. Yeah. Oh, I did. Yeah. And my MTV era, like I went to K-Rock in LA, which was like a really cool yeah. alternative rock station. And I got, you know, DJs are there for life. So I got finally a spot opened up for six to 10 at night. And I was like 22 and I got like, that was a cover. I'm a good, I'm done. Like I'm going to die here. I'm going to be here from 60, like nasty man. I'm going to sound young. I'm going to sound old and be, I don't, I'm going to smoke in the air. I'm going to, this is my thing. I'm going to get be punk rock. And like, I'm going to be an alternative rock DJ. And I was, and it was the best. So like I, I had already hit the pinnacle. I had so much debt and so much traveling around and lived in like a motel six and all this crazy stuff. I was so happy to have the stability that I didn't care about MTV calling. And I did, I got a note from, um, it was Kennedy, the VJ Kennedy, uh, had yeah. a manager named Maria Lapidus and, and she was a, like a, ma- a manager in town and heard me on K rock and called and, and said, I, I'm, I've got an audition for you at MTV. Like you, you got to come and do this. And, Oh, that was the real moment, like your call at the ESPN. I was like, oh my God. But it all seemed like gravy at that point because I had this radio job that I was so thankful for. And after that, it was like, I'm going to roll the dice until I crap out. Like I've already won. Like I've literally already won. I make $90,000 a year. Like I'm done. I'm a millionaire. I'm leasing a BMW. 
I'm living in like Ricky Martin's old house in North Hollywood. True story. We called it Casa de Menudo. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm living the life. So like if this MTV thing works great, it's not no problem. And it worked out. Isn't that amazing though? Cause I love hearing this story. So someone, you know, graduated with a journalism degree, worked my way through small market, local television. I mean, I was living yeah. in Wisconsin and Oklahoma South Carolina, I finally got my big break working in Dallas, which is a top five market. And then I get the gig at ESPN. I've been there seven years now, and it's been great. But when you look at the stages you went through in your career, how much have you just taken a step back and be like, my God, I've had some good timing in my life? Oh, for sure. For sure. A lot of good timing. I mean, most of it is really good timing. I mean, even my job at MTV came at a time, not just like literal timing, but like, like sort of generational, like yeah. I was a, like, there was the initial batch of VJs and then there was the kind of like, I'm like the Bill Bellamy, uh, there was like I Dallas, John Sencio, Kennedy, uh, Ed and Dre, like there, you know, that was kind of like, I came in right after that MTV had just bought in 1997, 1515 Broadway in New York, which is where the Viacom building is where TRL sort of classically was. They had just bought that. And when I came in, they were going through a major funk. Like, Daily Times had a story. It said, what happened to the M and MTV? They were starting to do all this reality programming, and, and, they, were, and they were trying to hire people who actually cared and knew something about music and, and not just, you know, models reading cue cards trying to parlay that minimal success into pilot season in L.A., which is what most of the VJs were doing. And to me, I was like, hell no. I'm like, I'm a music guy. Like, that's it. I, uh, that's all. I'm not trying to be an actor. I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not trying to be a celebrity. I don't care. I'm just trying to stay close to music, hip hop, rock. I love music. I love people. And so that was it when I got to MTV. And all that's timing. Like that's a big timing thing. If it two years earlier, you know, it, it's, they wouldn't have been in a transitional state as a network. And so it might not have worked. It wouldn't have been an obvious look for me. Um, technology was popping off late nineties. I mean, yep. I, T- TRL is my show. I was the executive producer of the show. I went to the network and pitched it to him and said, I know it seems silly, but like, I'm sick of walking down the street or being in bars. And everybody's like, I hate Britney Spears. Stop playing that video. Stop playing this video. And I would say, guys, I don't program MTV. Like it's a program by a company. So I'm like, you guys need an hour where you just turn it over to the people. Like let them email, let them call in. It should be like a radio show, like an all request hour. And this is right on the heels of that kind of like, you know, digital democracy and people being able to talk to each other peer to peer and texting and buy the Motorola sidekick with Fred Durst. And, and it all was like kismic, you know, it was like it all happened at the same time. So it was like, Hey, this is your show. And it really did become that generation's American bandstand where they felt like they could see their peers on TV and you, hell yeah, we would put kid rock right next to corn, right next to the backstreet boys. Right. It was a place like United nations, you know, like everybody's welcome. And it we work. We work in a building where, similar to timing, like the legends in our industry, Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, Stuart Scott, these guys. Wow, the hit, best. These guys hit ESPN right in the mid to early '90s, where they became the face of a generation for sports, much like you did for music. How much do you see some of the similarities between, because, you know, we all, we're all in our 40s here. We all came up through that same era where things were just starting to hit pop culture commonplace. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I still 
it's never lost on me. I always say like, if anybody ever has like success and even, I mean, I'll even throw money in there, like success and even financial, let's call it stability and, or, you know, an abundant, uh, you know, sort of, uh, an embarrassment of riches. It should be reserved for those who were poor or like struggled or like my, I, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way because the three of us have careers that the trajectory was similar. I found happiness in my life when I made $20,000 a year in San Francisco. I worked at a donut shop. I worked, I did 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. at Live 105. Like, I was still playing alternative music, living in a great city, lived with my sister. We ate rice every day. And, like, I, I was happy. Like, yeah. I was happy. Yeah. And, and, and so, like, this whole journey, the 20 years, and sure, man, the great times and the this and the that, I'm just proud that, like, it's never lost on me. Like, I'm always still that dude. Like, that's it. Like, I still don't think I have any tangible talent. And, but what I'm proud of is that I can walk into any radio station in the country. Like, I'm a, DJ, I'm a radio DJ. I'm a club I DJ. Like, I can DJ. Give me two Technique 1800s. I don't know about Serato yet. I'm not that good. But you give me, you give me the steels of wheel or, like, a radio station. And, like, I, I can go do a job somewhere in the country. And I'm proud I got that trade. Um, so, yeah, like everything that's happened and like to, have, you know, like you say, like you get to interact with like Dan Patrick or the great Stuart Scott, who we all miss and love so much, who was so amazing. The fact that like, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, to have an intersection with those that came before us in our respected industries, dude, game over, game over. That's, that's just, that's awesome. This is why we all get along so well is because we, we can look at where we are and look at where we've come from. And we appreciate it and go, Hell yeah. this is not supposed to have happened, but no. man, I'm the happiest dude and, and, and can look back and be like, oh, what a ride. Like this ride's been crazy. I want to, I got, you got to tell a story for me though. Cause I know you got to have one. There had yeah. to have been at least one moment when you went from doing DJ to MTV and when you're at MTV, it starts going off the rails and you thought to yourself, oh uh, I might not have made the right decision here. <laughs> Give me something that went crazy off the rails. Well, I mean, there's been a few things that, first of all, at that time in 97 to 2002, I mean, there was so much going on. Like that was such a crazy time, especially in New York city. Now, New York, you had the Yankees were going crazy. The city, you know, Disney bought up a lot of Times Square. So 42nd street was really clean. You know, families were out, you know, like the town became one of the safest big cities in America. Uh, hip hop has now completely crossed over. Um, you got guys like Steve Rifkin and Steve Stout who are doing deals at the top with, with major Madison Avenue companies, making sure that these brands are linking up with African American, you know, music and like really big things, plate tectonic shifting in pop culture, especially with hip hop. And you got Jay Z who's just blowing up Diddy. Like this is, these are my people, right? Like this is my, this is at my time in New York, like every night out at these clubs, seeing these people. And so it was a really, really rich, beautiful time to be in New York, especially with music and sports and just New York was on fire. So that, that was great. Um, so two things happened on the heels of that is that like, the power of TV is so crazy. I've been in radio my whole life and no one could ever recognize me because it's just my voice. After being on MTU, the minute I moved to New York and TRL started getting big, like it was really crazy. Like the whole teen mania thing. So it went off the rails for me because 
I never wanted to be like famous. I never wanted, but like people would hold up signs. Hey, Carson, let me, like they needed me to get to the Backstreet Boys. They needed me to get to Justin Timberlake. They, hey, Carson, let me up. That's what the sign would say. Let me in. You know, I want to meet Eminem, whatever. So I never, I, I got caught up in the vapor trail of that whole teen mania, but I, I never bought into the fact that that was like, that idolization was for me. So that was, but like my parents tripped out and were like, every time I went home, there was like people in my house, like the autographs. I was like, I, it was a, it was a hard time to try and find what was normal and what was just caught up in this pandemonium. So that, that really like flipped me out for a minute. And then you realize everybody else is tripping and that's fine. That's their trip. And it wasn't for me to worry about. Are you in your, you're in your 20s. Yeah. 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 Like I'm in my late 28, maybe, you know, between 28 and you know maybe 30 yeah but yeah basically 25 to 30 in new york at that time and and i just thought i was a passenger like just like or like a on a parade route that was just crazy like i was just there standing taking it all in but then realized that i'm actually in the parade like i'm on a float and like that's move i'm part of it and that's uh, that's something that you have to like kind of get get used to for a hot second but um, so you had mentioned teen mania and I, and I want to use that term to get back to something you said about you playing in these tournaments with Tiger Woods or being around Tiger when he was a teenager. Like how, how close were you in terms of being able to at least hang on the course with Tiger skill wise? Well, I mean, I've got three years on him. He, Okay, there's two answers to that. First of all, if you all saw, I mean, the guy's, the guy's a prodigy. People forget. Like, I mean, he was on That's Incredible. They're like, I can't believe this guy went on to be so great. And I was like, didn't you see him and Earl on That's Incredible, like, reading a scorecard? He's like, 30, 30, par, par. Like, 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 like six-year-old Tiger shot 36. Like, you know, junior world, he holds the record for hole-in-one. So it, he was definitely better than everybody. I mean, this is like... David Blaine walking into just like a magic shop and like blowing everybody away. Like, you know, he, he, but you know, he was younger. So when we would finish tournaments and you know, if you guys play junior golf, you know, you just, you go to the scoreboard and there was the like 15 to 17. And then there was like the 13 to 15. And oftentimes Tiger would shoot, let's call it 72. And it would be the lowest on both boards. So that happened a lot. And we also had long drive contests that he used to win, which was crazy because he he weighed like 80 pounds wet. That was ridiculous. Um, so, but I mean, I, I was, a, I was a good golfer. I mean, I would shoot anywhere from par to, you know, I'd consistently break 80. I was ranked, you know, I was probably was a one or two handicap at the time. And, but I was also, you know, that 17 years old when he was, you know, 13 or 14. So, uh, but you know, skill set wise, he just, he had it. I mean, he had all that, all this, all the stuff, like he was, Probably, you know, we had Bellotta or Serlin balls. Like he was like Bryson DeChambeau at the time. Like he really was that much into, you know, all facets of the game that other teenagers didn't even think about, especially with cut shots and spin and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You mean he was a he nerd? Knew. He was, he was, he was a nerd. nerd. Yeah. He was the well, yeah. nerd of the golf nerds. And the stinger. I mean, he had that low shot even then. Really? It was. It was crazy to like play junior golf with Tiger because when you're young, it's just you and the in the like your foursome, and then you, there'd be Tiger in like literally like a gallery, and the gallery was like NCAA scouts like following his round before he went to Stanford, and that was just crazy to see. That yeah, would have so been that would have been wild. Go ahead, man. Because Caddy and I, we called the PGA Junior League Championship this year for ESPN, and we you okay. know we're out there and we're watching. 
to your point, these 10, 11, 12-year-olds that are 75 pounds wet that can hit the ball long and straight. But I can't – and none of them were prodigies. I can't imagine seeing someone at that level with those Coke bottle glasses that nerdy playing yeah. that well. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. And by the way, not – you know, and, and in those years in Southern California, you know, Jason Gore also um, went to Pepperdine and he and I are good buddies and played junior golf with Tiger. We've talked about this also is that I – Tiger never got distracted. Like, I mean, eventually, even for me being 16, 17, like I discovered, you know, like my skateboard. I just, I had to like a lot of friends. Like I discovered, you know, Coors Light party balls. I discovered girls a little bit. Like there were those distractions, you know, and I would caddy at Riviera at five in the morning. I'd make, you know, 80 bucks in a loop. And then like, I didn't have to have a summer job. So my parents were like, Hey, as long, like, as long as you are working, we don't care what you do. And so I was like, great. I got a great job. I'm done. I'm done at 9 a.m. I got cash in my pocket. My parents are happy. Like, what am I going to do now? Go practice golf or maybe, I don't know, go like, go to Malibu and like chase chicks. He didn't have any of that. Not only did he not have those distractions, he had Earl Woods. I mean, he had a, he had a literally a drill sergeant who was teaching. That's, that's that whole stock. I mean, look at what he's done. I mean, all of that was done when he was a kid. Like he did all that, all that tiger on the prowl stocking those putts. That stuff was, he was doing that when he was 15 years old. Every shot, every count, I'm never out. I never quit. So he had that like Mamba mentality then. I mean, and so that's re- amazing to me because we were all teenagers once and he just was never distracted. I, of course, we would know later in life that might have played a toll in his personal life uh, because, you know, we're all human and not having an outlet for some of those social things uh, yeah. might have manifested in his life later in life in a, in a negative way. And that, that's just for you know people to judge themselves. Yeah, but that's one of those two where we as we all have to go through that teenage thing. We Agreed. all have to go through that. And if you Agreed. don't go through it when you're 13 or 14, that doesn't mean that you can't go through it when you're 30. Correct. <laughs> you, still, you know, it Correct. happens. Yo, and also like he was so he had like social he wasn't he was a hard guy to like be social with. He didn't have a lot of like social cooth about him because he worked his butt off so myopically at one sport, so militantly. Like, when he started Tiger Jam, I posted the first, like, three of them, and he called me and was like, can you just help me? Like, and I was like, yeah, what do you want to do, like, MC the thing and, like, bring out, you know, uh, Bon Jovi? Like, he's like, yeah, just, like, help. And he meant, like, help me with the events, you know? So right. I remember going to Vegas, like, the first, like, year, and, like, we had a dinner first, like, one night before the event started, and it was, like, you know, f- famous people, all of us, like, kind of good buddies, and we're all in this room. It was, like, awkward. It was, like, a big round table, and I actually, like, Pull Tiger aside. I was like, dude, you have to like stand up, take your little fork, ding the glass, and like thank these dudes for like <laughs> flying here. Like you gotta you gotta put up a toaster. It's like oh, okay, 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 okay. You know, so he needed like he needed some help a little bit, kind of mm. navigating some of those waters. So to your point, Caddy, not only just you know what he might have missed out um, as a junior, the teen thing, also in the young twenties, you know, just that so- the social thing. That's how devoted this guy was to his sport. Mm. To this day, what is your favorite sport to follow? What keeps you like? What do you miss most about sports right now? Oh my God, just all of it, man. I, the Mets, I miss, and I'm a Yankees fan because yeah. I live in Long Island, and I'm a, like a four minute train ride on game day that goes like I can bring a beer on the train, and, and I take my son. And uh, City Field here is such; it's newer and it's great. It's so family friendly. It's so friggin' easy for me. Um, and I miss taking my son and, and going there and being around other just sports fans and taking in a ball game. 
under a beautiful New York skyline. I mean, those are all, I miss that a lot. I mean, obviously I miss watching golf. I, I'll be, although I am excited to see when the golf season comes back, I have, I've been reading about Rory and I, I have a real, and I'm not saying this because we you know we've become friends. I, I really think watching him in the masters in November is going to be really interesting. And I, I mean, he said it, I think, publicly a couple yeah. days ago that maybe mm-hmm. taking the mystique out of the April and the, the, the whole thing might be what it takes for him to put the jacket on. And I think it might be true. Now, the other thing is Tiger. Tiger's needed one thing. He's been begging for it. And guess what? He just got it. And that's rest. Yep. So I don't think he's not secret training. I mean, don't think that when this <laughs> thing resumes, don't think you're not going to see Tiger like banshees. I mean, don't think it ain't happening because it is. That's what I think. It's going to be. So I, miss, I miss golf. Uh, you and me both. I mean, but that's the Tiger thing is going to be like he did at Zozo, where he yeah. practiced in secret at a at a secret location so nobody saw him, and then he got there and was ready to go. That Rory thing that you say is interesting, but for Rory, I don't know if the time of year matters. I think it's the the location itself where the baggage Maybe. might come in. But I got to ask you about Rory because that too has got to be surreal. You and Rory have a podcast. You guys are friends. Yeah. How yeah. in the world did that happen? Like, how did you meet Rory? And then how did the podcast come about? And you got to, you got to pump it up, man. Tell everybody about your podcast. Po- no, I, the golf, I've been dying, like my whole life, I've been dying to figure out how to like do something in golf. It's like my biggest passion in the world. And I love it. And I play it and I understand it. And I know a lot of dudes in it. And so I've just, been, and it just has never really happened. But Comcast, the company that I work for, has the golf channel. And I've been like trying to figure out something to do with them. And they're down in Florida. And long story short, they, they started this golf pass initiative. They, you know, Rory's the guy for it, kind of taking the, the ball of, of what, you know, Mr. Palmer started for the golf channel. And, and Rory is a great ambassador for the sport internationally, obviously. And so they called him like, part of the thing we want to do is a podcast. We want to put you and Rory together. I had never met him. We had a phone call. He couldn't have been, or we met in person, and he couldn't have been nicer. I have a radio studio set up in my basement of my house for for the radio work that I still do on the weekend. So technologically speaking, it was very easy. Although I tried to do as many in person as possible, just because it's better. Yeah. And it took a while. Like we've been doing it for over a year, um, and it's and it's so cool. Like it's so. And and uh, to answer your question. Uh, I love this dude. He, he's just, he's a great guy. He keeps his circle small. Um, I, I like the people that he's around. I like him. I, I believe him. I love this whole last year. I've seen a transition in him of like golf is not going to define him. And I think that's going to be secret to his success moving forward is that he does have a life. It's not, it's not so much like uh, Brooks. I mean, he's not there saying like, basically saying like, I hate hitting balls, but it's like, <laughs> he, you know, he, he he loves life. He's, he's hyper aware of the world that he lives in. And I think that that's good. And he's a great, great guy. The golf, if, if, if golf was in Rory McIlroy's hands, it's in great hands for as long as he's um, being a big part of it. So, you know, the fact that we get to BS and I just get as a golf fan to, you know, selfishly ask him questions, you know, to watch the tournaments and then to turn around and, and then fire up the mic and say like, ah, oh, what were you thinking here? Or, you know, did you see what you, I have Patrick Reed, you know, like, is it possible? I was dying to know, like, is it, is it possible to ground your 60 degree wedge in a bunker, like hover it? Is it possible that it touches and makes that kind of an indent and you don't know it? Like in the Bahamas, is the sand that fine, that thin? Is it possible? You know, ask, having a source. <laughs> Yeah, is it like sugar? Like, is it like? There's no way, right? I played a lot of golf. Like, there's no way. It's just fun, man. Selfishly, it's fun just to BS about golf and and just like 
I, you know, and now that I know him a little bit more, I can get a little more ribbing in on, you know, he's on Peloton and his workouts and, yep. you know, I'm like, yeah, I used to ride my bike for five hours every day and <laughs> was, was, was 50 pounds skinnier. Like you enjoy this soon. You'll be, you'll be working out for two hours just to stay chubby like me. Is there, is there anything in your relationship with Rory and doing the golf podcast? Is there, is there one thing that you've learned about today's golfers and today's professional golfers that may have surprised you? That's a great question. I feel like because I'm so old now, um, you know, when I was a kid, um, I met Ben Crenshaw, you know, that era of golfer, that kind of a guy, Tom Watson. um, But Ben Crenshaw comes to mind, a real old school gentleman, right? Like, like mm. the gentleman, like Mr. Palmer, like that kind of a thing. Then I feel like, not that it got lost, but like in the eighties and nineties, it got kind of flashy and it was John Daly and it, like it was, the sport was evolving. I, it just recently, I feel like this young group, I feel better about the game in the younger guys that I've met. They're less cynical about the sport and about life than then I think I've seen in the last, you know, sort of that middle part of these three generations, you know, from Ben Crenshaw to kind of the Tiger generation to, to now, to Rory's generation. I, I like where it's headed. It feels like, you know, they say things come, you know, like go full circle or come back around. It feels that way to me. I may be wrong. I mean, I may be wrong. No, but like, you're exactly right. And it's not in big names. It's in names that like I didn't, of like dudes that I didn't really know, guys that I follow on the Sunday leaderboard. But now that I've had a chance through this access with Rory, like when I was at the players, I get to talk to these guys now in the locker room. And I'm really impressed with some of the younger guys, just who they are as people. I think that's always a good sign for a sport. Man, the only thing we got to say is, is that, the character that Don Johnson played in Tin Cup is based on Greg Norman, and it's real. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. So that's the generation that we're talking about, and they were yeah. they were not as accessible as the generation before or the generation that we're in now, which is true. So with all this golf that has been in your life, what's still on your bucket list? What golf course have you not played that you want to play? A lot. I mean, a lot of them. I I mean. Uh... I did play, I got, uh, I mean, I played Cypress is one of my favorites. I played Augusta with my dad, which was special. Cause I got to take him out there and we met Arnold Palmer after the round. So it was like stupid fantasy golf. Was crazy. I, I stole every range ball, like everything. I stayed at a cabin. I stayed at one of the cabins next to Butler cabin. I took everything in the cabin that wasn't nailed down. Like all the little you spend in the shop though, too. I, I dropped like at least two G's in the shop, like, yeah. which was kind of dumb because like, I still have like shirts. I was like, Oh man, like I meant to give these out and I just didn't have <laughs> enough friends. I bought more shirts than I had friends for. <laughs> Cause I still run across like an Augustus shirt. I'm like, damn, this thing is old. Um, but you know, I've, you know, uh, Island. I mean, I just did that. Um, my sister gave me one of those DNA tests. So, uh, I'm like 95% Irish and um, it's made me want to, I've never played St. Andrews and go to Scotland and Ireland and kind of do yeah. golf over there. That's something I'm looking forward to doing. We could all go do that, man. That would be, I still, oh. I got to play Ireland. Yeah, I still haven't played the old course, but like I would love to go play Port Rush now that they were there. I still haven't played that yep. one, but um, yep. that Royal County downs. Oh dear goodness. Yep. That is, that is legit for real, for real. Is it weird now that the way it, the way the world is, that the way TV is working, 
for you? Because I know for Maddie, it's 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 different as well. So, um, I'll, yeah, it's great. I love it. I don't want to drive into New York City ever again. <laughs> 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 like I hate wearing suits. Like I. Like I'm not like the Today Show type, like dude. Like I, I don't own a suit. I really don't. I have like one that I wear, like if I have to wear to like, you know, an event or something like near my house, like Sunday brunch or something. But like I keep all the suits and stuff at NBC at Thirty Rock where my dressing room is. I just keep it all there. So like I'm like I'm like Batman. Like I go in like in sweats in the car. Boom! I put on the thing. I do the thing. And the hi, how are you? And then as soon as I get home, I'm like back in my flip flops, my hat on backwards. Like I'm like. uh Mr. Rogers, like take off the sweater, put on something else. So I, I, it is, it's been, um, weird because I had a baby and I didn't know when, how I was going to go back to work or when I was going to go back to work. And all my colleagues are, you know, we had some COVID-19, uh, victims in my building and people positive. We lost uh, Larry, one of our beloved audio guys to it. So they, you know, most, I, I'm, I'm working from home and I'm on an, it's just so weird that like it's technologically like looks as good as I've been watching. Like I watch ESPN. I watch ESPN. Like that's my network. I watch on all the time and I'm see all my favorite people on ESPN are all like home or they've got backdrops and it's kind of hard. They're nondescript, but everybody's in a box now and you can't tell. It'll probably change. I was thinking today, Drew Barrymore was on on the today show this morning. I'm like, she was at her home and I'm like, we're we're never gonna get another guest to come into the studio because they're after this they're all gonna be like oh I'll just I'll zoom in or whatever the hell hundred percent right yeah you're hundred percent because we've we've been doing that with all of our guests on Sports Center they're just FaceTiming right just, hey I know you're not doing anything FaceTime Sports Center they're like, oh, great you can and get anybody well, on right. it looks good like it's yeah. it looks good and and furthermore it's kind of cool because you're like oh like look at dude's house like you're always looking at the things in the background and like. Oh, he's got a kind of a cheap coffee maker. I'm surprised. That guy makes twenty million a year. You know, like it's it's like a window into their private world, which of course, you know, that we all not not us, but a lot of people have insatiable appetites for, you know, celebrities like inner layers and like all of this FaceTiming, all the stuff that's happening is like people are getting the the look behind the curtain. Like Mike I've never put my kids on camera. Like I just don't do it. I just don't. I'm not yeah. pimping my kids. I want safety. There's crazy people in the world, but like my right. kids have been my my son is like literally helping me out. He's been on camera. He cut my hair the other day and it made like national press. And so it's like, you know, it's definitely, I think when we, when this, when the lights do come back on gradually, I think all this broadcasting and the way in which we're doing it inevitably is going to sort of reshape the landscape to how we broadcast. Yeah, very true. Well, you know what? Now we know the most important thing is once we finally get back to a little normalcy, we need to plan the trip to uh, Scotland and Ireland and do something. Oh, no golf. doubt. Yeah, for sure. I, Actually, I would no, love for real. it. For real, like I'm serious. I want. I want. I would do it. it. I, I mean, no. Okay. okay, we'll we'll get that set up, man. This has been a blast. I know. I because you got that little one in the crib, bro. We kept you way too long, man. You got to. No, man. This is you guys just saved my life, man. I'm so <laughs> sick of my family. I mean, they've been driving me. Crazy. This this was literally like I feel so good. I feel like I was at my shrink. I don't even know what I said. I hope I didn't offend anybody. I hope I wasn't. <laughs> but thank you. No, man. I got to go buy a new bird feeder right now, too, because. Yeah. I know I heard about that. You put an arrow through it, huh? I put an arrow through the bird feeder. It was a shot like Legolas, though. My, uh-huh. wife, my wife goes, man, that was Lord of the Rings. It actually went through the feeder and came out the little tiny opening where the perch was. There's no birds on. I was trying to get a squirrel. I missed the squirrel. Right. But the shot right. was amazing. I can't. I got a squirrel problem. 
This is the most Florida conversation I've heard in a while. I know. Yeah, really. Deal with bad weather in New York. I'm down here in Florida trying to take out squirrels with my kid's bow and arrow. Not even my own. I don't want to use the big one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's still frustrating that I can't get my hair cut and you can go buy a new uh, birdcage. But listen, it is what it is. (laughs) This has been awesome. Northern and Southern problems. Carson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. And uh, we look forward to watching the Today Show, listening to your No, podcast. you don't have to plug my stuff. Dust, don't worry about it. People know. Oh, man. Don't no, you guys are the best. Keep up the great work. No, the Rory McElroy and Carson Daly podcast. Y'all got to check it out because it is cool, man. It, it, it's fun. It's all, I'm it's a fan. You know fun. that, man. It, it's just for fans of golf. That's what we all are, man. We're just it's we're fun. Fan, we're fans of the people that we get to hang out with and cover. And we just are lucky Agreed. to call them friends, man. But that's what, that's what life's all about, man. These connections. I agree. 100%. 100%. Because Carson was so good, uh, we, we took more of a time than we should have. What we're going to do this week is we're going to record two podcasts. Uh, today's is with Carson Daly, and then we'll do one later in the week because I have a laundry list of things that I need to yell at you about. Oh, this and, ought to be good. So, Here we go. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to let Carson live today. As, as he should exclusively. And then later in the week, uh, we'll be back uh, with more because you and I have some things to discuss. All right, fine. Maybe I'll have one of them squirrels down by then. Yes, and that's one of the things we will discuss. <laughs> that and more coming up later in the week on Maddie and the Cat. Thanks for listening to Maddie and the Caddy. Check out more great ESPN podcasts in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Maddie and the Caddy.